Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Gadget Reason Radio. My name is Sean Alfonito, and I'm your host. And happy Monday. Hope you guys had a great weekend. Today is uh, Monday, November 6th, 2017, and uh, this is the Tech Perspective. And in today's episode, I'm going to be dedicating this entire episode to my iPhone 10 review. So I've been using my iPhone 10 since uh, early Friday afternoon. And uh, so I've had a full weekend to really kind of put it through its paces. Um, I've been doing basically everything that I normally do when doing a phone review, uh, taking photos, um, testing out battery life, watching movies. Obviously with the iPhone 10, there's some uh, specific things you kind of have to um, consider when doing all these tests, right? So um, I've had enough time now to kind of get through the gist of everything that I wanted to, and I think I have enough uh, data to give you guys a full-on review. And so there's a lot to talk about. Let's go ahead and get started with today's tech perspective and the iPhone 10 review. Okay, so if you guys tuned in on Friday, you kind of heard my uh, my impromptu sort of quasi unboxing here on Anchor FM, and I just wanted to give you guys my first kind of impressions of the iPhone 10 as I was seeing it for the first time. So, um, you know, the iPhone 10 represents the first truly new design from Apple since the iPhone 6 and 6S almost four years ago now. So the big question everyone has been trying to answer is: Was it worth it? And was it worth the wait? And was it worth that thousand dollar price tag? The answer, on the other hand, can be very difficult and very different depending on who you ask. You know, upon first unboxing of the iPhone 10, you know, the impeccable build quality, precision design and engineering, as well as the new form factor and screen to body ratio really make a great first impression. So what is it like to use it? Well, let's find out. As I already stated, the build quality is incredible and the design is pretty elegant, though not a drastic change from the past. The glass back looks good against the smooth aluminum frame, though it's every bit the fingerprint magnet you'd expect it to be. Let's be honest though, you came here for that sweet OLED display. It's no secret that Samsung is currently Apple's only supplier of panel for the iPhone 10. However, Apple is still handling all of this software to drive the display as well as things like color calibration and refresh rates. When you put it all together, the iPhone 10 has one of the best displays of any smartphone available. Apple chose to calibrate the saturation levels much closer to natural levels than Samsung's famously oversaturated, almost neon looking colors. Some people will either love or hate this decision. Personally, I happen to enjoy the slightly muted colors that appear much more natural and much more realistic. On things like a web page or a home screen, things look very similar to the IPS displays that Apple's been using for years. Like I've said many times before, display tech has gotten so good the past few years that all top tier smartphones have gorgeous screens and you really need to pixel peep to spot any major differences. One major advantage though that OLED does have over backlit displays are those inky deep blacks that really make colors pop. The iPhone 10 is no exception, and comparing the same movie or photo on the iPhone 10 versus, say, the iPhone 8 or iPhone 7 from last year shows a drastic difference in contrast and dynamic range. OLED panels also use much less power, which improves battery life. Although better in many areas, OLED displays aren't without their own issues. Color shifting when viewing off access has been a major issue with some recent displays on phones like the LG V30 and the Pixel 2 XL. Burning can also be an issue with OLED technology as phones start to log thousands of hours displaying the same home screen icons or date and time located in the same spot. 
I'm happy to report that the iPhone 10 display exhibits very little in the way of color shift when tilting the phone off axis, and Apple has said they've taken every precaution to limit burn-in. Only time will tell how successful they were at achieving that. Of course, no discussion about the iPhone X's new display would be complete without talking about that notch. I've already read and seen literally hundreds of different reviews about the iPhone X, and many of them have totally different perspectives on the notch. One reviewer specifically said that the iPhone X was clearly meant to be used in portrait mode when referring to how the notch looks when viewing it with videos or photos. Honestly, I couldn't disagree more. I think that the notch actually looks kind of cool when in portrait mode, and it kind of shows off that there's some type of really new snazzy display technology at work here, and after a while, I didn't even notice it at all. As for movies and videos, I still preferred using the full screen mode where the video will indeed get a chunk taken out of the side where the notch resides. It doesn't really bother me all that much, and I still would much rather have that full edge-to-edge -edge experience as it's much more immersive than having black bars on the sides. In day-to-day -day use, the iPhone X has a bright, sharp, gorgeous display that serves as a welcome and long overdue upgrade. I think most consumers will be more than happy with the compromises that needed to be made to get this screen to be edge-to-edge, -edge, and I think that most people will be, will be totally fine with the notch after a couple of days of use. While we're on the subject of edges and bezels, here's my take on the current state of the bezel-free phase we are currently entering in the smartphone industry. Currently, all of the bezel-free phones have approached the solution to this a little bit differently. Samsung chose to curve its edges around, Essential and iPhone X both have a notch, and the Pixel 2 XL and others have opted for slimmer yet still barely there bezels all the way around. The bigger question is, do you actually get more usable screen real estate? Well, that really depends on the phone and the software that's running it. One big advantage that Apple has is developer support and the adoption of new software and hardware. When devs take time to redesign their apps specifically for these new bezel-free designs, it makes for a much better user experience and makes for much better overall use of the new screen space. If they don't, the results can be pretty painful at times. Large software borders can be present, basically creating bezels anyway. Important UI elements can be cut off or missing, or simply a smaller usable screen area is what you're left with than if you were just using a smaller displayed phone in the first place. Apple's strong commitment and enthusiasm from developers means that these issues occur far less often than they do on Android. As of now, I would say about 85 to 90% of the apps I use daily are fully updated to make the most use of the new iPhone X display. On the Android side of things, that's obviously a lot more difficult when you have so many different hardware manufacturers making so many different designs that it would be very difficult for software developers to account for each individual solution. But it really is interesting to me when you have all these phones side by side like I do right now, and looking at the incredible variation between the body to screen ratio and exactly how much screen space is usable depending on which app you're using, depending on which software developer or which app developer has actually taken the time to implement and adapt for the new bezel-less designs, as well as just the overall shape um, that, that was used with the display. So it can be very, very different. And when you see them all side, to, side by side, you really do get um, a better idea of the fact that uh, it's not quite just as simple as let's eliminate all these bezels because it really has a lot more to do with exactly how they're implemented. On the iPhone X, for example, the IGN app hasn't been updated at all to take advantage of the new display. So therefore, when viewing the app on the iPhone X, you're actually left with an image that looks smaller than what you'd actually have on the smaller iPhone 8 display. But 
Conversely to that, if you open up something like Microsoft OneNote, it absolutely pushes everything to the outer edges of the screen and you're left with a ton of usable space. Microsoft actually has pushed every last inch of all the text and everything out of the way, all the way up to the point where your content, if you're viewing something that you've saved as a note, is basically using up 98% of the display. And obviously this gives you much more screen real estate, but also just makes the app look really beautiful and immersive. Another significant design change on the 10 is the removal of the home button. This of course results in a missing place for the fingerprint sensor, meaning that we now have face ID instead of touch ID. Setting up Face ID was actually faster than setting up Touch ID has ever been on any iPhone I've ever used. And it's also important to note that if you have issues about privacy or anything like that, that the iPhone X doesn't actually take a photo of your face and store it for reference. Rather, it makes a 3D map of your key facial features that get stored in the secure enclave on the processor. This map of your face is what actually gets compared each time a scan is done when you're attempting to unlock your phone. For those of you that have concerns or questions about someone possibly using your face to unlock your phone without you knowing, your, your eyes do need to be open, so there's definitely no worries about anyone doing this while you're asleep or in any other situation. For the most part, it works quickly, and in most cases, it felt exactly like having no lock on my phone at all. I would just pick up my phone and swipe, and it would just be unlocked. Getting the best position for a good scan does take a little bit of getting used to, but I had a better than 80% first-time scan success rate, and on those rare occasions where it didn't work, quickly readjusting the position would unlock the phone immediately. In a lot of the reviews that I've seen where people were discussing Face ID, there was a lot of discussion around exactly how far away you hold the phone when trying to unlock your device. In my personal experience, I've found that the angle is much more important than exactly how far or how close the phone is. Making sure that you have the phone angled so that it's perpendicular to your face and not tilted off axis seems to be the way to go. I think that most people will adjust just fine, but I don't know that it will really ever be any faster than the already excellent Touch ID sensor that we've been using for the past couple of years. Once again, Apple made this transition fairly smooth with app developers though, because in most cases, apps have already been set up to work with Face ID right out of the box. Even apps that don't specifically mention Face ID anywhere in any release notes or anywhere within the app itself seem to work just as if it was using Touch ID, all without anything having to be changed or anything being done to the app itself. In some cases, all I had to do was turn off Touch ID and then turn it back on, and by default it would ask me, do you want to use Face ID to unlock this app in the future? That was pretty much all there was to it. Nice. One nice little feature that I really liked about the new unlock method that Apple switched to for the iPhone X are how notifications are handled. Receiving lock screen notifications has always been something that uh, I've always had to give a lot of thought to, thinking about um, if it was something that I would want some, someone being able to read as it just popped up on my screen while it was sitting on a table or whatever. Well, the switch to Face ID seems to have solved that problem. Receiving lock screen notifications now only displays the app name and the fact that you actually have a notification from that app. Once you look at your device to unlock it, the contents of the notification kind of get revealed like a little magic display. 
It looks really cool the first time you see it, and it means that you can now be less concerned about which apps you allow to show notifications on your lock screen. This is huge for me because like I said, I have my phone out where a lot of people could just see it sitting on tables in public in a lot of situations, and you know, there's just certain things you wanna keep private. I wouldn't really want any random person to be able to read the first few lines of certain text messages or emails. So the fact that we get this extra benefit as the switch to Face ID definitely adds an extra bonus and makes the pain of switching to a new unlock method a little easier to swallow. Oh, and if you were wondering if Face ID had any issues with darkness or sunglasses, the answer is no. It actually works extremely well in dark rooms or if you're wearing sunglasses. However, the main issues that I did have unlocking my phone usually happened when I was in direct sunlight. This is probably due to the fact that the dots that get displayed on your face to create the depth map and to do the scanning are infrared. And so obviously darkness is not gonna be an issue. However, direct sunlight could interfere with those infrared dots being read properly by the true depth display. So um, that's definitely one thing that I did notice was direct sunlight can be a little bit of an issue. But as I said earlier, if you readjust the phone and try again, it usually works the second time and it's not too big of an issue. All in all, Face ID works pretty well. And for the most part, it pretty much just feels like you can pull your phone out of your pocket and swipe as long as your face is pointed towards your display. So after using the iPhone X for about four days as my daily driver, I can give you guys a pretty good idea of what it's like to have this as your daily device. The iPhone X feels pretty dense. It almost feels heavy. It's actually not any heavier than the iPhone 7 Plus that I've been using for about a year, but it feels like it when you first pick it up. In spite of this weightiness and thanks mostly to the excellent materials, balance, and size, it feels really good in your hand. Now, I personally have a true need for big screen devices, but I've always been jealous of the pocket-friendly form factor of my wife's smaller and lighter iPhone 7. It's really nice having a phone that feels significantly smaller than, say, the Notes and the Plus models of the world without sacrificing too much on the screen size. While the iPhone X display is technically larger than my 7 Plus at 5.8 inches, it's definitely more narrow. And as I mentioned earlier, in the right apps, it can definitely feel larger and more immersive. However, if those apps haven't been optimized, it can definitely feel a little bit smaller. Now, as far as battery life, it's been about on par with what I've come to expect from my 7 Plus. The first few days with any new phone can be a little hard to judge battery life as you're generally using it more, you're performing various setup tasks, and generally acting like a child with a new toy. So I'll definitely report back once I've had more time to settle into a more normal routine, but for now, it seems to be getting pretty good battery life. Performance is every bit as stunning as you have probably come to expect with each new version of Apple's A-series silicone. The A11 Bionic chip is probably more powerful than the average user has any need for and will ever require, and should definitely keep things running buttery smooth for quite some time. My overall experience having used the 10 for the past four days is that the phone is exactly what I expected it to be, and it's the best version of the iPhone to date. It also happens to be my favorite iPhone, and I've had every single one of them. Smartphone cameras have gotten incredibly crazy good over the past five years. Better glass, better sensors, and now better software and things like AI and machine learning are taking things even a step further. I've been using the Google Pixel 2 XL for the past couple of weeks, and I've already mentioned it's the best smartphone camera that I've ever used, hands down. It takes consistently great photos almost every single time you pull it out. Based on my experience with the Pixel 2 XL, I had a lot of doubts that Apple was going to be able to do anything to be any better than what I've been able to achieve with the Pixel 2 XL's camera. I'll definitely do a dedicated camera comparison in the future, but for now, here are my first impressions. 
The iPhone 10 cameras are very good. They're sharp, they're excellent with dynamic range, decent low light performance, and some cool software tricks. With that being said, it doesn't beat the Pixel 2 XL, at least not in my early testing. The portrait mode on the front facing camera is not very good. In many cases, it either doesn't blur the background at all, or the bokeh effect bleeds into things like hair and ears and other foreground objects. The rear cameras, on the other hand, are outstanding. The newly added optical image stabilization to the telephoto lens is a great addition here, and I definitely think it's gonna help with people taking those telephoto shots and having them come out a little bit more sharp. The portrait mode here is excellent and competes easily with anything you'd get from the Galaxy 8 or the Pixel 2 XL. The studio lighting results are a mixed bag, however. The results can range from incredible to really awful and cheesy. It's still in beta, so I'm sure it will get better with software updates, but even so, it's fun to play with even now in its current form, and when it works, it's pretty amazing, so I like that it's here for us to experiment with. The 12 megapixel sensors and the new six element f1.8 wide angle and f2.4 aperture telephoto lens are a modest upgrade from the iPhone 7 last year, but let's face it, the iPhone 7 already took really great pictures as it was. It takes excellent photos and most people are gonna be extremely happy with the results from the iPhone 10. For video, the 10 can now shoot 4K at 60 frames per second, as well as doing 1080p at 240 frames per second for super smooth slow-mo videos. Videos look clean, sharp, decent dynamic range. Again, here most people will be extremely satisfied with the results. Much like smartphone display technology, it's getting harder and harder to nitpick and find the exact differences that make one display, or in this case, one camera better than the other. I think we're kind of at a stalemate until the next major leap in shrinking down optics or in better image processors that can be fitted into the small modules on smartphones gets better and gets that next, next big huge step forward to really start to see the next big leap in the types of results that we get with smartphone photography. For now, most top tier flagship phones all can take really outstanding photos, especially when you consider that the best camera is always the one that you have with you, and for most of us, that is always gonna be our smartphone. As I already mentioned, battery life on the iPhone X seems pretty solid. I can see getting a full day without charging in many situations, and that's pretty much all I really expect from a modern smartphone these days. The charging situation, though, is a little bit complicated. Though the iPhone X is capable of fast charging as well as wireless charging, Apple includes neither of these options right out of the box. This is definitely disappointing to say the least, especially for a phone that costs as much as the iPhone X does. To make things more confusing, the iPhone X has different levels of fast charging depending on which adapter and cable combo you decide on. In my experience, if you have a recent iPad Pro charger, you can just use that and it will charge about 10 to 15% faster than the included adapter. It's a noticeable difference and for many, it will be the most pain-free option to getting faster charging from your iPhone X. To get the fastest charge, you'll need a USB-C to lightning cable and a USB-C PD charger. If you go through Apple directly, this is going to cost you about 80 bucks, and Apple says you can expect about a 50% charge in 30 minutes going this route. You can obviously get cheaper third-party adapters and cables, but I'm not sure that I can really recommend that with your new $1,000 smartphone. For wireless charging, thankfully, Apple chose the Qi wireless standard rather than opting for a proprietary format. The iPhone X also supports both 5-watt and 7.5-watt wireless charging pads. Wireless charging is slower than cable charging, but it's obviously more convenient. 
I would definitely recommend going with a 7.5 watt pad so that you can definitely take advantage of the fastest available wireless charging you can. While it would have been nice if Apple had included either a wireless charging mat or at the very least a PD charging brick that can handle fast charging, it's at least nice that Apple decided to go with a pretty standardized wireless char charging format and that most people will be able to find these at relatively cheap prices starting usually at around $12 to $15 on places like Amazon. So. I'm definitely curious to see how well the wireless charging holds up over the next couple of weeks. As of right now, I've only used wireless charging once just to make sure that it would work and that it wasn't too finicky and everything worked exactly as you would expect. So stay tuned for more information about both wireless charging options as well as what kind of charging results and speeds I get once I connect it to a more powerful charging adapter. So the results of all this new technology, the industrial design prowess of Apple, and the attention to detail put into the new iPhone X are that you have an incredibly powerful and beautiful device. Does that mean it's worth the $1,000 starting price? The answer to that really depends on your situation. If you're like me and many other people, you're probably leasing your phone in the form of monthly fees added to your wireless bill. I do this specifically so that I can upgrade each and every year. That doesn't mean that it's not expensive. My Verizon bill would be significantly cheaper if my wife and I would stop upgrading and just pay off our existing phones. Actually, it'd be about $100 cheaper to be exact. So that's definitely something to think about. Also, many people will never come close to taking advantage of all the capabilities of a phone like the iPhone X or any of this year's other flagship devices. So for me, it was definitely worth it and I don't regret making the upgrade. Your conclusion may be different, but hopefully the information in this review will help you make that decision for yourself. Now, obviously this review is based solely on my firsthand experience with the iPhone X over the past four days. And in many cases, my opinions and thoughts on devices change over time. You're gonna have numerous software updates. You're gonna have things like the portrait studio mode coming out of beta and getting more effective and more powerful to use, as well as all the app developers developing new, great and more powerful apps to take advantage of all the new technology in the iPhone X. So the chances are it's only gonna get better from here. However, there are those rare occasions where strange little defects and other problems come up. Let's not forget Bendgate or any of the other gates that have been floating around from smartphone releases over the past couple of years. But for right now, I think that the iPhone X is a great device. And if you're in the market for a new iPhone, this is definitely the best phone that you can buy. So that's gonna do it for my iPhone 10 review. I hope you guys enjoyed the content. If you did, be sure to go ahead and favorite the station to get more content like this in the future. If you don't already follow me on Instagram and Twitter and other social media platforms, you can look me up at Gadget Reason. I'll be posting a ton of photo comparisons and other information that'll tie into this review as well as other tech that's coming out between now and Christmas. And if you guys have any questions or comments or anything you'd like to know about the iPhone 10 that I didn't discuss or cover in this review, leave me a comment if you're listening via the Anchor app or you can leave me a call in also. If you're listening via the podcast, just hunt me down on social media and drop me a comment there as well. Thanks for listening and I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Tomorrow.